Hello, listeners. It's Philip here. I'm with my brother, Peter. Hey, everybody. Um, and we were just thinking, because um, this is just a kind of a normal line of conversation for us. Um, if you could have anything in gold, what would it be? So I guess the answer I have to that is, so I guess there have to, there were a few criteria I used to filter down my original answer. Because my original answer was a mustache, but then I realized that I could actually dye my mustache in gold, even though it would be much more amazing if it was just a naturally gold mustache and all the rest of my hair was brown. But the criteria I use is that, A, it cannot be something that you can just easily change to gold. Um, or something that comes in gold anyway. And um, I recently was in Africa, and so this may have inspired it. But my answer is an elephant. I would love just a huge golden elephant. <laughs> I'm sure there are like former Indian rajas who have who had them. <laughs> I've seen elephants painted gold. I don't think it's impossible. <laughs> Um, one day, day. I, I sort of have uh, two answers basically my first answer is a spaceship um, just because I think um, Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos would be jealous of it and so <laughs> I would have something that they would be jealous of and then my second was uh, just a fuck you to the world um I would have a ship made of gold and just have it sink at the place where the ocean is deepest. So deep sea divers would forever want to find this massive gold ship that's impossible <laughs> to, uh, to, to unearth. Yeah, I think both are great answers because I, I know that Elon and Jeff would really be desirous of that, of that golden spaceship. But um, I think that the uh, do you think I don't know. It would be interesting to to know like at what point that ship, the ship that you sink at the deepest part of the ocean, would become uh, fetchable. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think uh, Novak Djokovic also has something that Jeff Bezos and. Uh, Elon Musk would respect quite a bit because he just got his Golden Masters 1000, which is the first time anyone's ever done that in tennis. Where do you think this ranks on the pantheon of tennis achievements? So I think what, so I guess one, um, one thing I, I was hearing during the broadcast yesterday is that Lendl actually got nine Masters as well, but it was not the current nine Masters. I think there was a Stockholm Masters that's now become Madrid. Oh, okay. um, and so it's not like Djokovic is, I think it's, it's a little misleading to say Djokovic is the first ever to sort of do something like this, but Djokovic is the first ever to have all masters and all grand slams, not to mention the, um, the world tour final. And I think the only thing he's really missing is a singles gold medal from the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I just think this sort of, uh, differentiates him from Rafa and Roger in a way that in some sort of like achievement based clear cut way that ha he hadn't had before. And yeah. that is where th that is the real significance of this.
Yeah, and I think, like, what it really means, too, is, like, okay, he did this, what does it mean? Um, is that he just plays every part of the season strong. Like, uh, Rafa's never going to win Paris-Bercy. He might win Miami, maybe not. Those are the two that he's missing. And he's I thought, really, I thought he was missing Shanghai, not Paris. No, he, he, uh, he won Shanghai in 2005, I think. I, I'll look it up right now. But he's missing one of those two, and he's probably... He's Shanghai and Miami, and he's like 0-6 in the Miami final. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you might be right. So let's just say Shanghai and Miami. I mean, he's probably just not going to win Shanghai. because and he lost the final of Shanghai last... I feel like Rafa could do it. I think it was a long time coming for Djokovic with Cincinnati, too, because he was 0-5 in that final. And he'd won every other Masters at least two times, even those impossible clay court Masters that Rafa has, like, a virtual monopoly on. So um, I just brought it up. Um, Nadal did win Shanghai in 2005. Paris is the one he's missing. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like, uh, Rafa's just probably not going to win Paris because he doesn't play indoor tournaments well or the end of the season. He sort of packs it in. Um, and Fed's just never going to play clay again, so he's not going to win, uh, like, uh, Rome and Monte Carlo. Um, do you think if Djokovic has another three, or just have, like, a three-year stretch of brilliance, like, wins the U.S. Open, he'll be at 14, and then has another three, like, it's gonna, there, there is, like, a real world scenario in which Djokovic just makes it obvious that he's actually the best of the three. Yeah, I actually think it's uh, extremely possible. Um, because, like, he is the best of the three. Yeah. Um, it's also, okay, so how long can his body do what it's doing? Like, his biggest advantage is that he's faster than everyone. Um, that and his, like, intensity. He can, he can manage, like, pretty much can manage more awkward shots than anyone else can and um he can uh hit any ball down the line yeah um and so it's just like okay so he's at uh 13 right now he needs seven to tie federer uh he needs uh he needs uh five to no, no four to tie nadal uh, Nadal's going to win probably one or two more French Opens. Um, yeah, so basically, do you think uh, Novak can win eight more Grand Slams is the question. Yeah, I wouldn't put anything past him, but that's that's just a big number. Yeah. Um, yeah, it like... definitely more possible if he wins this U.S. Open. I think he's going to get to at least 18, um, but I'm not yeah. sure if higher than that. Um and like if he goes on a tear, like he could just win the next like ten Grand Slams <laughs> unless he gets like I injured. Think, I don't think he has to win eight. I think he has to win seven. Is if he ties Federer. Um like you look at the Ultimate GOAT index website and um Djokovic has by far the highest opponent's ELO rating ever. Um, like, we talked about how much Nadal's had it harder than Federer had it. Like, Djokovic has had it harder than both of them have had it. 
Um, yeah. There was one. There was one stat from yesterday's broadcast that was really funny. So he's he's played Nadal fifty two times and he's played Federer forty six times, um, which means he's had ninety eight matches against the two of them combined, meaning like one tenth, like ten percent of all his matches played on tour has been against one of those two. <laughs> oh my god! And then you had Murray in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he has he has the two most um, store like the two most I guess played rivalries ever. Um, he he has just the toughest opponents played ever, and he's got like the five most the the most dominant five year stretch of all time, and he has a winning record against what people who people perceive as the the greatest ever the two greatest ever with. An extremely large sample size. He's beaten Nadal on at the French. He's beaten Federer at Wimbledon. Um, and he also just has an open road right now. Like there is nothing stopping him other than like a real super energized Nadal or like Del Potro's forehand just th- like just bombing him off the court. Like from winning the U.S. Open, I think. Yeah. Like, the only thing stopping him is getting injured, and he's, like, pretty good at not not, getting injured. He's not totally back yet, though. Like, he he didn't crush people this week. He had four straight uh, three-set matches. Um, He was down a break against Rayanich in every single set. Um, He, yeah, he's not fully back. I think there's definitely, there are definitely worlds in which he could lose. Um, but he is like, there's no match in which I would consider him the underdog. Yeah. And he did lose to one person, um, in the summer, uh, who's also sort of had a breakthrough, um, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. He's got a really good game. Yeah. He, he, uh, he's good. He's very good. Yeah, I, he's young too. He's on your on your young person rankings, where is he? Um, I mean, it's got to be Zverev and then Tsitsipas. Yeah, who who else rounds that out? Um, <laughs> I think it's it's been a little um. There's been a little like shifting in it recently, because um. Alex D. Menor has been on a tear. He's number thirty in the um, the race right now, and I think in Winston Salem he has a really really good draw, um, and that could propel him even even further up the ranks. And he's only two months older than Chapovalov, so I think probably like number three would be a tie between Chapovalov and D. Menor. Then number five would be, uh, I guess, I guess Felix. Does Chorich still count as young? Does who? Chorich. Chorich. Uh, yeah, I count him as young, but not like. But I think when you ask for young person rankings, you're asking for like, like perennial top five. Um future yeah 
Yeah, because like Church is number band. twenty in the world right now, and he's only twenty one years old. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then Hyun Chung, I guess he's twenty two. Yeah, Church is younger than Chung. Uh, Chung's been injured all season, so that's hard to say. Um, what about Rublev? Uh, I actually like Kashinov more. Kashinov has been on a tear too. He's had he made the semis of Toronto. He he made the round of sixteen at Wimbledon. Like he he's gotten just far in every single tournament he's played. Um, and he's bigger. I don't know about Rublev. I like Rublev. It's just hard to it's hard to like slot him in. Yeah. Cool. And he's going to lose a lot of points because he made the um, quarters of U.S. Open last year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you know who lost a lot of points are both uh, Grigor Dimitrov and Nick Kyrgios. Kyrgios is down to 27 in the world. Yeah, Kyrgios is just... It's, it's just a sad story so far. Um, oh, wait, no, that's the race. Uh, let's see, what is he in the world? Um... He's, he's number 30 right now. Yeah. So has he just been injured? Like, what's been his deal? So he's, he was injured for a lot of the year, so that's, like, one, one of the excuses. But I don't know. I was uh, making this comparison um, with uh, Mark earlier um, in the year where uh, I used to see Kyrgios as, like, the next big thing. But maybe he's just the next guy on Malfis, like who likes flashy highlights and uh, joking around in the locker room a little bit more than like uh, putting in the work to become number one in the world. Yeah, I think that's almost insulting to Malfis because I think that um, Kyrgios is like wasting his talent more than Malfis is. <laughs> yeah, but like I think like. Malfis was a definite prodigy uh, on the same level as Curious. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, yeah. I just think, like, like with, um, they, they have different games, too. Because Malfis is just, his speed is insane. And he's more of a physical specimen, whereas Curious is more of a shot maker. Yeah. Um, and I think with with Malfi's game, you sort of need more discipline than with Kyrgios. Like, I think Kyrgios has required just, like, the thing that's almost insulting about Kyrgios is, like, he has a game that's really hard to mess up. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like Federer, where, like, Federer doesn't, like, you see interviews of young Federer, and he talks about it. It's like, eh, I don't like to practice. And it's just like, yeah, you were gifted. Yeah. Um, it is God-given as Roger Federer. Um, and Kyrgios has almost the same sort of just uh, natural talent. But he he does, like, even less than bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, he has been really funny, though, on social media. Apparently he and Andy Murray went to like a roller coaster amusement park um, before the Cincinnati tournament and had a really good time. And then uh, <laughs> another um, 
Yeah, the Murray Curios bromance is like probably the best thing off the court at the moment in tennis. And then another nice. thing that was funny um, about Curios uh, was they instituted a shot clock in Cincinnati. And uh, he was saying that he like serves so quickly that he was saying the shot clock reminds him to like slow down because he's at the line with like 20 seconds to go on the shot clock and he's just like, oh, I have 20 seconds. Uh, like compared <laughs> to like Djokovic who got multiple violations this uh, this tournament. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, apparently Kyrgios had the fastest service game ever, which was 37 seconds. He hit... <laughs> He hit two aces and two unreturnable serves. And, That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, his serve is a thing of beauty. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so Nadal was talking about the shot clock, too, after Toronto. And he was just saying, like, yeah, I can serve. I can play faster. Like, I just showed I can. I, I will if I have to. The rules are the rules. But me, personally, I like to think. Um, and... It's uh, the matches that people remember, the ones with really long rallies. It's just really hard to um, to play those just really long points and have only 25 seconds between them. So I thought that was an interesting argument for just, like, screw the shot clock. Yeah. Um, I think tennis... They're really um, self-conscious about um, how long matches can go. Um, I think that's one of the biggest like critiques, like one of the things holding the sport back from a wider audience. Maybe I mean I know that there's there's like a huge there's a pretty big following and a big drumbeat for making all matches best of three matches. And then I was hearing another theory for um, having all matches be best of three, except for the Grand Slam quarter semis and finals. Um, and some people were saying that like they should change like women's quarter semis and finals of Grand Slams also to best of five. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Grand Slams, though, is you have a day off. Like, you don't need... like. Whereas, like, in the regular tournaments, you're playing the next day. Like, that extra day of rest, you should be ready for best of five. But are you saying for just, like, watchability, for, like, how long matches last? Yeah, for watchability, for scheduling. Um, yeah, pretty much. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't totally agree with that. I think... Um, I think the way they're doing it now is something I'm a fan of. Yeah. And, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not privy to the same like survey data or just market research that those who are thinking about this um, more seriously might be. So I don't know what has broader appeal. Um, I think it actually may be better for preserving players' bodies and not getting injured. So that's that's one um, that's one argument in favor of shorter matches 
but I don't entirely believe that because I think um, part of like what LeBron different sport, but what LeBron says about um, playing basketball is once he's warmed up and his body's ready, it doesn't matter to him if he plays 29 minutes or 39 minutes. Um, but it's just the process. It's like a six hour process to get his body ready to peak at the right time. And so um, I doubt that like three sets versus five sets would, would have that much of an impact like in the majors when you do have a day off anyway, would have that much of an impact on injuries. Yeah. I think it's more just like how many tournaments these guys play per year. Like that, yeah. that impacts it. Just like the, the wear and tear. It's just like, why is Federer playing Rotterdam? You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. Um, like the, the tournaments that I'm sort of pissed at Nadal for playing are like the ones late in the year that have no impact on his legacy. Yeah. So I think, um, I think you're right. And you've seen Federer really take it easy the last few years, but, um, it's like Popovich with Kim Duncan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I'm, I think Nadal's taking the page out of that book, but you're seeing like Federer just turned 37 and, I don't know if you saw the past week, but he really looked old. Um, I think he may be done. I know we've said this before, but he looked like, remember when he was just like at his trough, when he was just shanking balls for no reason? Yeah. He was doing that, and at the same time, he was just like, he he was moving really poorly. Like his, his change of directions was really awkward. He, he was, he, it almost, it seemed like he felt the pressure to really end points. And he was, he was, um, rushing and just doing stupid things on court because he, um, he knew that he, his body just couldn't, sustain many long points yeah yeah i think he's done winning grand slams like um because there's a combination of his body just looking old and uh djokovic uh his resurgence yeah djokovic is back um also del potro is playing so well i hope his wrist isn't actually bothering him yeah del potro is back uh pending his wrist Stan is on his way. Murray is on his way. Um, Zverev is ascending. Um, but he just keeps getting the easiest draws. Like, <laughs> the, the, so looking forward to the U.S. Open, there, I was, I was thinking the other day about what is the toughest draw Nadal could possibly get. And so I was thinking, like, Stan in the first round, Murray in the second round. You could flip those if you want. Then in the third round, um, who, I guess Kyrgios? Kyrgios plays Nadal well. Kyrgios is going to be a top 32 seed, so that would be, yeah, that would be third round, yeah. Yeah. Then fourth round, who would be the toughest, like, fourth round match? 
Actually, may, I think possible. Nishikori might be a tougher third round than Kyrgios. Yeah, okay. Then Nishikori third. Um, fourth fourth round, round, round of 16, either Isner or uh, Pass. I think, would be a really tough... Uh, that's who I don't want to see, those two. Yeah. Yeah, Let's, and then quarterfinals would be Djokovic. Semifinals would be Del Potro, and then finals would be Federer. Yeah, that would be a really tough tournament. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way he makes it <laughs> to, like... I, I would, uh... Yeah, the Stan, the fact that Stan and like Murray are uh, just floating is just like there are two jokers in this deck um, <laughs> yeah. at the U.S. Open, and they're like, and at least Stan is like pretty much back to his like old form. Like we were saying, he's washed. He he might not be fully washed. He's had really good matches against Federer and Nadal. Yeah. I don't think he's fully back to his old form, but there were stretches in the Nadal match where Stan was just crushing the ball and yeah. like hitting the ball just so like the timing was so sweet and you sort of saw it again. Yeah. And oh, uh, and so um, he's 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 a wild card for sure. He is a joker in the deck. You know who um, I want to see in the third round. Uh, Jack Sock. <laughs> yeah, I want to see Jack Sock too. Though if Jack Sock makes it to the third round, he will have won forty percent of the matches that he's won all year um, in the U.S. Open. Yeah. Can you believe be... it's like eight months into the season and Jack Sock has won five singles matches? <laughs> I think what salvaged his gear for him is his partnership with Mike Bryan. Yeah. Um, like, is it Mike or Bob? I forget. Mike. But, yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it is just absurd. He, I want to know the, the backstory to this because. Yeah, he won Wimbledon in doubles. He's not like injured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe he just felt like he peaked and lost his motivation. Yeah. Another one I just, like, uh, am surprised is still, like, back where he is in the rankings is Milos Reynic. Like, uh, it's sort of a pleasant surprise, but it's surprise nonetheless. Like, has he just been getting shitty draws? I think it's harder than you think to really, like... It took Del Potro, like two years or three years to really get back to yeah, the spot. Del Potro was getting the worst draws. Like, Djokovic yeah. second round type of, like, Djokovic second round, like, three tournaments in a row, like, type of bad draws. Yeah. I think with Rayanich, um, it's a combination of he's not actually that good. Um, <laughs> a combination of he's not totally back to where he was like he still lumbers around the court like his movement isn't isn't like natural even the way like even as compared to what it used to be like by his standards um 
but I do think it's like more of a process than like he's number 19 in the race. So he's, he's going to be top 20 this year. And like, he almost beat Djokovic in this, in Cincinnati. He, um, yeah, I think he'll, he'll be, he'll be, it'll be slow and steady, but he'll get back to the top 10. I think the other one who's like, who's going through the process is Nisha Corey. Like he's top 10 in the, in the, I think he's number 10 in the race. So he's on track to be 10th in the world by the end of the season. Um, and so, yeah, I just think navigating the minefield of having bad draw after bad draw, it takes a while. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Um, any, any more, uh, I guess uh, storylines from the summer you want to go over? Um, I guess the other one I've been sort of following is just how Felix has been doing. He's still like around the 120 in the world, right? And um, so he's, and he turned 18 this past month. He's the age that Shapovalov was when Shapovalov made his breakthrough. Um, he's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's, like, not that young anymore. And he had a win in Toronto, and then he lost um, in the third round. And he um, – then he, he lost in the first round to Vancouver, which is a challenger tournament. And so, like, he has the body. He has the – he has the tools. But it's – it's um, in terms of the youngster watch – uh, I have a feeling that his, he's only 18, but his, his stock is like, it's not quite as high as it was. Yeah. Um, I'm still buying. Um, he's just got everything. Um, and so I'm just waiting for him to put it together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll see these young, these youngsters are really tough to, to gauge because like, George was 18 and he was top 20 in the world, or top 30 in the world. And we were all buying George more than we were buying Zverev. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. These these guys at this age, um, like, Sitsi Pass, if you were to, like, judge him based on what he was doing a year ago, you would be like, oh, he might, he might be good. I think it's just like they either breakthrough or they don't and like uh when the breakthrough happens you're just like oh this guy's good um but like i think you bet on like like talent yeah yeah i think you're right and they they break through at different speeds yeah like, I don't think so, we're going to have another Boris Becker, like, 17-year-old winning Wimbledon just because of how physical the game has become. Um, yeah, and the longevity of the superstars. Like, Federer only won his first Grand Slam at age 22. Like, Nadal, I guess he won... Uh, he won uh, Roland Garros at 18, but, like... Uh, yeah, I guess... <laughs> To be the next Nadal, you have to do something like that. But, um, yeah, I guess Djokovic won the Aussie at 21. 
Um, I think the one who, uh, who's like sort of, uh, dip has sort of, uh, I think Sverev is the one who's like, wow, it's, uh, there have been three majors played this year and he still hasn't had like a major breakthrough. Yeah, I mean, he made the quarters of Roland Garros, but I think he played like three, three, five set, like four, five setters or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder what his deal is. Like, honestly, I have no idea. Like, people say that his body isn't for five sets, but I don't even know what that means. Like, yeah. his body is more than fit for three sets. Like, it's not like, like you get a day off. It's, yeah. You're a pro. You're not, it's not. Like once you're, once you're that fit, like you can do five sets, and especially if you win, if you're that good, you win three up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just he is so talented. I I remember seeing him at the French Open, being like, "Wow, this guy is like so talented." Um, I, I remember we were talking about like last year how his head was his like biggest strength, but. Um, I think like his like psychology and just like the pressure he puts on himself and also like, uh, um, I'm not sure he's like fully mature and just like, uh, his like outlook yet. Um, he's like, kind yeah. of, he still has sort of a brat streak in him. Um, yeah, he's still, still a bit of a child. Like, yeah, I guess a lot of them, but like. Yeah, you compare him to like, like Sitsipas. Sitsipas seems like he's more of a grown up. Yeah, even like though S- he's done a lot less. Sitsipas is like a really, really, really strong, mentally strong um, player. Yeah. Um, like he's a fighter. Like he he believe, he he knows he has to fight for it, whereas it feels like Sarev doesn't like believe doesn't think he should have to fight for it sometimes. Yeah, but he's still young enough to believe in those, like, stupid athlete cliches, though. Like, apparently, during um, Toronto, Sitsipas's saying was, his, his motto was, like, it doesn't get easier, you just get better. Which, <laughs> I guess it's true. But it's just, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a sign of somebody who's never had anything really go against anything really go wrong in his like trajectory towards success yeah <laughs> but I just think uh, it's not even that like I don't think what I don't think the saying's wrong it's just like you gotta be a little bit green to really just get jacked up by like cliche quotes yeah that's a good point oh well um, okay well uh that about does it. Um, hopefully we'll have a, a U.S. Open draw podcast where we just focus on predicting um, outcomes. Uh, this was sort of a good recap of what's happened so far this summer. Um, thanks for listening. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to, as soon as I uh, end this podcast, I'm going to start um, – Sending out emails to see who can get me that golden spaceship. (laughs) All right. uh, Until the next podcast. Thanks again.